Oh, my God. 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. Som Gedalia. Today is a fast day. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Befreien.
J.M. in the A.M. Perfect World, done by uh, Jakob Schwecki. Uh, that was after his um, Chivisi selection. Uh, before that, welcome back Yom Tov with the Yom Kippur medley. After all, we are getting closer now to Yom Kippur than we were. We're already up to Tzom Gedalia, and this coming uh, Tuesday night, Yom Kippur will begin. Habain Yaker Lee, Israel uh, Jerufi, Yassela Rosenblatt with their versions of that. Shuvu, done by Eitan Katz. Shuva, done by Ohad. Regesh, with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a uh, to a Wednesday morning, Tzom Gedalia. Today is the fast of Gedalia. In the New York area, the fast goes till about uh, 725, somewhere around there. 71 degrees here in New York City with um, 87% humidity winds to southwest at 8 miles per hour. Afternoon thunderstorms with a high temperature of 91. Tonight showers 
a low of 58. And then for Thursday, showers with a high of just 61 degrees. Wow, what a difference. We expect 91 today. We expect 61 tomorrow. Right now in usual, I'm 79. We're at 71 here in New York City, as we say good morning at JM and the AM, hope your Chag was wonderful. A special good morning to the New Springville Jewish Center out on Staten Island, where we have the opportunity to participate in services for the many, many years in a row. Oh, yeah. And uh, I thank everybody, uh, Rabbi Siegel and the um, entire congregation for again welcoming us to the uh, New Springville Jewish Center and uh, and really um, having a very inspiring and a wonderful Rosh Hashanah. It was really beautiful. And we've been there many times under many different circumstances and... Um, this time around, again, a, a really beautiful Chag, a wonderful Yom Tov. No matter where you were, I hope everything went well and that you enjoyed your uh, your Rosh Hashanah holiday. And now, as I said, uh, Shabbos Shuva this, uh, this coming Shabbos. Tuesday, we get to a Yom Kippur, Tuesday night. And, of course, Tuesday night and Wednesday, the holiest day of the year, and then eventually the holiday of Sukkot as well. We are here on non-chag, non-holidays, non-holy days. We are here at JM and the AM, so make sure to be tuned in. More coming up. It's JM and the AM with a great Yom Kippur selection from Yishai Rebo. As we continue with Seder Ha'avodah, you are listening to a Tzom Gedalia edition of JM and the AM. Thank 
Sefer Chaim and Barosh Hashanah, Mordechai Ben David, of course. Wednesday morning, Tzom Gedalia, JM in the AM. Today is a fast day, like next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, a little bit more of an important fast day. <laughs> That'll be Yom Kippur. Galit's on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Wednesday comes up next on this Tzom Gedalia. We say Boker Tov and Tzom Kal from JM and the AM. פערים גדולים בין האוכלוסייה בפריפריה למרכז, כך עולה מנתוני הלשכה המרכזית לסטטיסטיקה. כתבתנו לנר וחה ניב יגו. כמעט חמישית מתושבי הפריפריה ויתרו על טיפול רפואי מסיבות כלכליות, לעומת שישה אחוזים בלבד מתושבי המרכז. כך עולה מהדוח שמפרסמת הלשכה המרכזית לסטטיסטיקה. הסיכון לעוני בקרב משקי בית גבוה בחמישה עשר אחוז בפריפריה לעומת המרכז, ומספר הרשומים במחלקות לשירותים חברתיים גבוה יותר. עם זאת, כמעט תשעים אחוז מהתושבים בפריפריה ובמרכז העידו כי הם שבעי רצון מהחיים. הסתיימה פגישת ראשי גוש הימין. ראש הממשלה נתניהו עדיין לא החליט אם להחזיר את המנדט להרכבת הממשלה בחזרה על נשיא המדינה. כתבנו הפוליטי מיכאל האוזר טוב. לאחר שנושא החזרת המנדט לנשיא נשקל בימים האחרונים על ידי נתניהו ועלה בפגישת הגוש, ראש הממשלה הודיע כי עדיין לא קיבל החלטה. ראשי המפלגות עודכנו במגעים האחרונים עם כחול לבן ובהחלטת גנץ לבטל את הפגישה שתוכננה היום לנתניהו ולא, והודעת הליכוד מפילים את האשמה לכך על יאיר לפיד. וחבר הכנסת יועז הנדל מכחול לבן הבהיר בריאיון לאמיר איבגי, לא לפיד הוא זה שמונע ממשלת אחדות. אם נתניהו מסכים להיכנס שני לרוטציה, האם לפיד יהיה מוכן לוותר על הרוטציה שהוא חתום מול בני גנץ? אני משוכנע שכן. אני אומר לך שאם הליכוד היה מגיע בידיים נקיות והיה אומר, אנחנו מנהלים משא ומתן ליכוד מול כחול לבן, והרוטציה לא התקבלה 
כתורה למשה מסיני, שבה כתוב שנתניהו חייב להיות עכשיו ראש ממשלה. אז היה אפשר לעשות הכל. ועל מקרי הרצח במגזר הערבי, 13 חברי הכנסת של הרשימה המשותפת לא השתתפו מחר בטקס ההשבעה של הכנסת העשרים ושתיים. כתבנו דורון קדוש. בכינוס חירום שנערך בשעה זו במג'ד אל-קורום החליטו חברי הכנסת של הרשימה המשותפת שלא להגיע מחר לטקס השבעת הכנסת. בנוסף, ועדת המעקב של הציבור הערבי הכריזה על שביתה כללית מחר בכל המגזר הערבי בישראל, כולל במוסדות החינוך. חבר הכנסת אחמד טיבי כתב כי השביתה באה במחאה על גל הרציחות ביישובים הערביים ועל אוזלת ידה של המשטרה. שני רוכבי אופנוע בשנות ה-20 לחייהם נפצעו קשה לאחר שהחליקו בצפת. כתבנו גיא ורון מעדכן שצוות מד"א פינה את השניים לבית החולים זיו בעיר. תקלה ברשת החברתית טוויטר מדווח כתבנו אליאב בטיטו. מאז שעות הבוקר מדווחים משתמשים ברחבי העולם כי אינם מצליחים להעלות תמונות וציוצים לרשת החברתית. דיווחים נוספים הגיעו גם בנוגע לשליחת הודעות פרטיות. בטוויטר הגיבו על התקלה ואמרו, אנו עובדים על מנת לתקנה ונראה כי בזמן הקרוב הרשת תחזור לשגרה. מזג האוויר, ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורך רועי ולד.
J.M. and the A.M. off of Leva Nefesh. It's our Reshes Fasenu. Wow, good song. Uh, of course, a perfect song for uh, this time of year. As we've been saying, our Reshes Fasenu, the first two days of the year after the chauffeur blowing in the Musaf Shmon Esrei. Uh, before that, you heard the um, uh, Mordechai and David selection, Hayom, also part of the uh, chauffeur blowing service or chauffeur blowing part of the uh, Rosh Hashanah service. And this is one of the psukim that we quote, both on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. From Dvekas, you're listening to JM in the AM.
Let's have a big hand for Shira. Everyone, come out. Pretty amazing. Mordechai Ben David and company. Unbelievable. Mati Steinmetz uh, with uh, Vesera of uh, Vesearev. Um, Aaron Teitelbaum production from the Rechnitz wedding from years ago. Uh, Jam in the AM. Some Gedalia morning. Before that, you heard the um, uh, Dveka selection. Abain Yaker. Leah Reshes for Sena done by Schwebel. 
Sharf and Levine. No, Areshes was done by Mordechai and David, right? <laughs> we'll get it straight. Don't worry. Um, right, the Areshes. We're, we're looking for the Areshes Vasenu from uh, from Shwebel, Sharf and Levine. Oh, I'm sorry. The one we did. The one we did was Levanefish. There you go. The one we did with Levanefish, Areshes Vasenu. Wow. Uh, first JM and the AM of the year on this Tzom Gedalia morning here, and I thank you all for tuning in. Um, much appreciated. Hope your fast is going well so far. In the New York area, it's going to go until uh, about 7.25 tonight. Here is that Schwabel, Scharf, and Levine selection. Areshes Fasenu at JM and the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Areshes Vasenu done by Shwebel Shar from Levine. Some Gedalia morning. Hope your Rosh Hashanah was amazing. I thank you very much for tuning in and being part of this great experience. Uh, Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas Harav Zebnerbis of Alevi and Zechonishmas Esther Basarbis of Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizok. Good morning. Concerning Tshuva, it says, V'yom hazeh yetar eschem mikol t'mosechem lifnei Hashem titaro. On this day, you will have kapara, you'll have atonement from all of your sins. You'll be purified before Hashem. The end of the Pasuk says, lifnei Hashem titaro, and you will be purified in front of Hashem. The Zerashimshan asked the question, Concerning Tshuva, we've already learned that we're going to be purified. Why does the Pasuk go out of its way to say a second time, Lifnei Hashem Titaru, you will be purified before Hashem. The Zerashimshin says that there are two ways of tshuva. There's tshuva meyira. A person can do tshuva out of fear because they're afraid of the punishment. They fear the punishment and they hurry to do tshuva. That type of tshuva is of course a wonderful tshuva, but it's not on the highest level. Because of that, the person has to wait till the special day of Yom Kippur to have their complete kapara, their final atonement. However, the individual that does tshuva me'ahava, 
They do tshuva because they love Hashem so much that they feel bad, that they have grown distant from Hashem. And because of that, they bring out their great love to do tshuva and get close once more to their Father in Heaven. That tshuva is such a powerful tshuva that the person is forgiven immediately and they don't have to wait for Yom Kippur to come around. That's why it says, Lifnei Hashem Titaru, because the individual does not have to wait for Yom Kippur. They are forgiven immediately. We should all be zolcha to do tshuva me'ava, to do tshuva from great love. We should all be zolcha that we do tshuva immediately and we don't delay. An individual just came into me on Sunday night. The person told me that they have not been so good this year and they wanted to go into the things that they've done wrong. I told them, it's not important to confess. If you feel better talking about it, we can do it. But the most important thing is to tshuva immediately. Don't wait till tomorrow. Tonight, when you go home, start the tshuva process immediately and then Hashem will forgive you immediately. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizik. Have a nice day.
The Shmakolenu medley here at, uh, oh, there we go, at JM in the AM. Uh, that was done by, um, uh, that was done by Reb Chaim Banet and company. Shlomi Kaufman before that with Minametzar. It is a Wednesday, Tzom Gedalia, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AchimSegal.com, and the AchimSegal Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Eitan Katz, words we continue to say. Some in Hugim, some customs. And Slichus with um, Rosh Hashanah. We continue all the way until Yom Kippur. That's Lamancha here at JM in the AM. Tzom Gedalia morning. Today is the fast of Gedalia. I hope your Yontif was uh, peaceful and wonderful. And I hope today's uh, fast goes uh, relatively easy uh, for everybody out there as we... Uh, uh, again, continue our uh, uh, Tzom Gedalia, and one week from today, of course, we will be in the midst of Yom HaKippurim. 
Uh, well, many of you are aware of uh, an episode that occurred in Harnof, Yerushalayim, almost five years ago, and it's hard to believe that it's almost five years. It was uh, the morning of November the 18th, 2014, where two terrorists entered a Kehilat B'nai Torah synagogue in Harnof and attacked those who were, uh, who were davening, those who were praying there on that morning. For days, as the, uh, the book that has been uh, published by our friends at Art Scroll Masora says, for days the headlines screamed about the unprecedented attack. Terror, unfortunately, had become all too common, but to invade a peaceful synagogue, to brutally use guns, to shoot men clad in talus and tefillin, to use a meat cleaver against men quietly pouring their hearts out to their creator, what became known as the Harnof Massacre, was a new level of violence that shocked the world. And then, as always, new headlines replaced the old. The world moved on, and the widows and orphans, the bereaved parents, the families and neighbors and friends were left to remember and to mourn. For Risa Rotman and her family, the grieving took a very different form. Her husband Chaim, who'd been left with serious brain injuries, was in a deep coma. Not dead, but somewhere far, far away. Terror and Emuna and Harnof is Risa's story told in her own words with honesty, insight, and yes, even humor. In hospitals, rehab facilities, ambulances, and her own home were with her as she draws upon deep wellsprings of Amuna and chocolate ice cream to grapple with her unimaginable challenges. The book is called Terror and Amuna in Harnof, A Year of Growth and Faith. It's a memoir by Risa Rotman. Risa, shalom, shana tova, and welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure to speak to you. You know, it, it's, it's one, it, to me, it's one of the best Musrs Farim I've seen in a long time, frankly. And if someone asks me what the book is about, I tell them terror and chesed. Do you think that those are the two terms that in many ways dominate the story, terror and chesed? Um, there was a lot of chesed. I don't, the, the sad part of the book, or the sad part of the title with the terror, is that people think that the book is a very scary or depressing, upsetting book which it really isn't. It is a book about chesed, tremendous amount of chesed on the whole Kleisel level, chesed on the, as you get closer into Israel, Jerusalem, the neighborhood, it just gets more intense, the Kehillah even more so. So chesed is a wonderful name, and um, really the terror is just from a, the introduction to all the chesed and amuna that happens as a result of it. Right. Um, your husband lived for about a year after the November 2014 uh, attack. Would, right. that, would that be accurate? Right. So the attack was on Kafhe Cheshvan, or the 18th of November, and he passed away on Yud Aleph Cheshvan, wow. and, or I, I think October 24th. So it was like a, it was two weeks really difference in right. terms of the Hebrew, Hebrew year. Two weeks short of a Hebrew year. Um, the, the chesed begins immediately, and I think a lot of people in difficult situations, even quote-unquote normal difficult situations, if you know what I mean, uh, can attest to how you know, chesed kicks in when it comes to our community 
really around the world, maybe uniquely in many ways in Israel, but even around the world. I think what I got from your book was that it never stopped. It seemed like it was nonstop, and even in periods of time where one might suspect that people would let go a bit, where people would be drifting away, it seemed that, that they and sometimes others would drift closer to you. Yeah, no, the whole, the whole year people, from near and far, I, I got phone calls or from people I had, hadn't been in touch with in years um, calling me up from all over the place, from America, et cetera, showing their, their interest and their care and what was going on with, with us. There was no, there was no let up. On the other hand, people did try. Overall, people did try to respect our privacy and not invade us too much, which I also appreciated. And that can be a really delicate balance, right? It's a very delicate balance um, because, yeah, you just sometimes just want to have your chill and have your time alone. You don't want everybody knocking at your door and calling you. Yeah. And uh, I think that I think that overall, it was amazing the way people responded. And, and I think there was another factor as well, and that was that you have children at home, right? And and oh, and, yeah. and people <laughs> and people want to step in and feel the need, rightfully so, to step in and help right. just with the day to day activities. So there's 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 there are those who are in, literally in your home and taking care to an extent of your own children, and at the same time. You know, trying to be as delicate as you know, gracious as possible when it comes to your private time. Right. So, at the beginning, before things got organized and arranged, the beginning was real madness um, because everybody just wanted to do what they could in whatever capacity they could. Mostly with food, 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 cake, and cake, and more <laughs> cake. But it was also. <laughs> Very Jewish. Even in the hospital, when I would be sitting with my husband all the time, people were coming and bringing me so much food. Um, but the social services in Israel have a whole, unfortunately, they have an incredible system set up for people in such situations. And they brought in the help, and they brought in the, and it was, it was just much more, in a controlled situation where he doesn't have everybody walking in and saying, I'll, I'll do your ironing and I'll do your, and I'll clean your house and I'll do this. It became a much more controlled situation. And, uh, and then when people want to show interest, they could be focused the way we would want it or not. I would turn, I would graciously turn people down and say, thank you. We don't need that right now. Um, Risa Rotman's with us. Her memoir is called Terror and Amuna and Harnov. Obviously, there's so many different things that we could talk about regarding the, the, the immediate aftermath of the episode. W- one of them is, for those of us familiar with Harnov, and my brother lived across the street from the shul at Six Agassi for many, many years, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it, it takes time just to believe that this, these, this type of infiltration happened in your own neighborhood, happened in, in the place that, you know, to so many is such a safe place when it comes to living in Jerusalem, living in Israel. Is there, is there not only the, the personal shock you're dealing with, but this whole communal shock that everyone goes through at the same time? Unbelievable. 
It was just unbelievable. People would come to visit me in the hospital. And we were all literally laughing at ourselves. Uh-huh. We live in our outfits on the far west side of Jerusalem. We're far away from everybody. We didn't go to go live in this neighborhood or that neighborhood because we wanted to be in the safe neighborhood. And truthfully, my own husband, he didn't want to live in certain neighborhoods because of their proximity to the Arab, Arab neighborhoods. But he always used to, he was no fool, he always used to say, we're six kilometers away. They can get in, they can do whatever they want. He was very realistic about it. Yes, you know, live. And and I think that summed it up for everybody. Of course, everybody was in complete shock. Yeah, I can only Like, hard enough. <laughs> Even oh. afterwards, every so often people say, Nothing ever happens in her enough. It's like, uh, well, that's not true anymore. Yeah, that's for sure. And also in your personal situation, I mean, I'd have to imagine that the first couple of days in the hospital, you're you're sitting and standing there in complete disbelief that this is now what your family is facing. Would would that be the right way of putting it? Um, the first day, so um, they just, I I just didn't stop crying the second day I came out also didn't stop crying almost didn't stop by the third day that was it like you just okay now somehow I got to deal with this and I got to get help and I got to figure out you know who's cleaning help and get the math tutor for this kid who needs it and I just I don't know I just sort of picked myself up and said we got to get be on top of whatever we need, and thank God everything sort of fell into place. Um, was there disbelief? I think that the that at very quickly we couldn't even luxurate ourselves in the idea that no, this didn't really happen. It really did happen, and we got to deal with what we have to deal with. Yeah. Um, that's well, basically what happened. Was what it was for me. Also, you're in a completely different situation. Maybe "completely" is the wrong word, but you're in a different situation than your neighbors in Harnof who had suffered similar, um, uh, who had suffered in, in the similar episode, in, in the same episode. And that is that, uh, unfortunately, obviously, uh, their loved ones were taken immediately by the enemy. And now they're facing, you know, the, the, that type of immediate shock. And in your situation, uh, your husband, you know, frankly, is uh, is injured to the point where you're not quite sure what's going to happen the next day. Right. It, it's all it's all true, but when you, there was different time factors. So the first few weeks, there were two other men who were also very grievously injured. One of them came out of his coma in days, Rabbi um, Goldstein, the son-in-law of Rabbi Tzipor Heller. And another man, Rabbi Muambi, um, he also was in very bad condi- condition for, I don't know exactly how long, for about two months. He was also sort of in and out of a coma. So I wasn't the only one in that situation to begin with. But as you move later, those two men did heal and eventually went home. And there were the widows who were dealing with their families and the loss of their husband. And then there was me who, at that point, had 
moved on to the rehab hospital, which was an hour and a half drive on average away from home. So I was like completely removed from everybody else because I was spending all my time not only in the hospital, but not even in Jerusalem, at the other, you know, in, in far away. I was really in a bubble in some ways on my own. What age range were your children in uh, when this happened? So my youngest was four, and um, I guess the oldest son at that time was 26. And you guess he was 24. I think there's 20 years between us two. And, and, and at some point, again, within days or certainly weeks, you want everyone to be back into some type of routine, no, no matter what your husband right. and in turn you are going through. How quickly does that take place? So the kids, the younger kids, everybody sort of went, all the kids sort of went back to school almost immediately. Um, we had to make afternoon arrangements for the younger children who in, were coming home earlier. Um, midday is is the elementary age, age children come home because they have a six-day week. Right. So we had to make arrangements for them, and they had to adjust to all that. Um, the kids' schools for the older than the older kids and teenage, the mid-ages um, were very, very understanding and didn't put any pressure on the kids. Um, and then we were had to work out uh, who would be at the hospital and when schedule for everybody. I mostly was there for the daytime hours, like from 8 to 4. And then the kids and some extended family moved in and did the, the afternoon, later afternoon and the night shifts. And those are the older children, I assume? The older children and some of my... Um, in-laws helped us because we don't really have a lot of fa- my brother who lived here we don't have a lot of real fa- extended family here so a few others but my kids didn't really want all sorts of people offered to be with my husband in the hospital but the kids wanted to keep it within the family circle as much as possible wow um, and, uh, and, and, and at some point they're obviously getting back into their own school schedule and the people who are in your home that you described earlier who are helping coordinate things and, you know, get the kids to and from school, et cetera, these are friends or relatives or a combination of both? Um, so um, my school-age girls just took care of themselves. The first month after the, after the attack happened, the first, no, two months after the attack happened, when my husband was still located in Jerusalem, a friend of mine made a, a lovely roster of drivers. Every morning, somebody would take me. Every Monday morning was the same lady would take me, and every Monday afternoon would be a different lady would bring me back from the hospital. And on the way there, we would pick up. We would take my little my little boy, who was four years old, to his to school, and um, then bring him back. I think. My my married daughter was in the house, and she would bring him back from school. So um, once we had schedules in place and things in place, less less people were involved in the day to day, and and we were able to have a certain amount of self containment. 
Um, I mentioned earlier that it's uh, that Chesed is obviously a big part of what you've written about and a big part of your experience. But and it's not only food, right? There are other ways. Uh, oh, drive driving especially is a very big help. Correct. That's one of the things. Driving, that... right? So the first that first two months, it was there was a lot, a lot of Chesed in driving. Like I said, a friend of mine made a very beautiful roster, and I knew every Monday Mimi came. And um, some of those ladies stayed with, with their schedule allowed them. They stayed and kept me company in the hospital, which is also a huge custard because the, for the first month, I was hardly in, out of being sitting in the hospital eight hours, I was maybe got in for an hour because my husband was in an ICU that didn't allow, allow, they didn't want people coming in and out of, they wanted to keep the patients quiet as much as possible. So visiting in the hospital may not have been as much for my husband, but it was very nice for me not to be sitting alone for so many hours. That was one form of chesed. Hospital, um, hospitals for families is a very draining experience. Very draining. And uh, having, uh, having company certainly helps. Right. Um, other chesed that um, things that people offered to do or did do with the kids, or shopping. I had one friend that whenever the house needed some small item, she would be my go-to person. Somebody needed a pair of socks or my frying pan broke or all these like little small odds and ends that you need and I could never get to do. <laughs> so somebody would be my go-to person to take care of those kind of errands. And you also write about um, th- there are some people who know what to say. There's some people who, you know, sit with you or reach out to you and mm-hmm. and, and are, are, are really good at, you know, with their words. We know, we know that sometimes it could be an awkward situation for some people and many don't know how to react when someone's going through the, tra- the trauma and tragedy that you're going through. But, but, but some you described as really uh, having, um, you know, a positive effect on the situation. For sure. There are people that... Also, what they did, like when I started going all the way to Renana with my husband to the rehab place, so every so often, friends, ladies would offer to come and sit with me. And I always warned them, like, just realize, like, you're six hours, like, you're stuck there with me. <laughs> but I'm also stuck with them. And I need my space, too. So a certain friend used to come and she'd take her paperwork. Miriam, she would come and she would take her paperwork. And she would just like sort of disappear into a corner and sit down and take care of her things. And I would have time to talk to my husband and do things that I wanted, which is really outstanding to know how to do that. Um, and and also to also for people who know how to keep up an interesting conversation, but where not to ask questions, even not because they're bad questions, but I get just so tired of answering the same. How's your husband right. doing? Like he's in a coma. Not, no, there's no real change here. So um, it, those those were very meaningful moments for me. That's one of the things I got from the book, by the way, was the, uh, the knowing what to say because the, the repetition, as you just described, can be really numbing and, and upsetting to, to someone yeah. like yourself and other family members. And, and sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes speaking about the mundane or stuff going on outside the hospital is a help. Right. 
Right, it's distracting, and it means that there's real life going on. Right. Uh, was there ever a time when there was great hope? And I know, obviously, there's always great hope, and we know how many people around the world were davening for your husband, so I'm not at all minimizing that. But but medically, was there a time when, when you were told that, that he was on a good road? So when my husband, as my husband was um, leaving Hadassah and Karim, there were two stages in Hadassah and Karim. The first part was he was in the ICU, and once they were able to take him off the respirator and put him on, just on oxygen, they moved him to the neurosurgery ward. And towards the end of being in the neurosurgery ward, they didn't really have much more to do with him. We felt um, that he was starting to come. He was starting to respond a little bit. Like we would tell him to move a foot or open an, his eye or something, and we felt like, he was working, concentrating, trying to reach out to us and pull and get to us. Um, the unfortunate part was that he was very weak physically, so he couldn't. He, and he was in, he was just constantly getting infections from the time that he was like six weeks after the after the attack, when they had to put in a peg, a feeding tube, started the infect the whole series of infections was my theory that he was so busy fighting sick infections and being on antibiotics that even if he wanted to reach out to us and he wanted to like sort of come up from the, the coma, he just didn't have the, the ability to, his, his body was just too weak for it to be able to do that. All right. So there were some hopeful signs, but uh, you understood the reality. There were, there were hopeful, there were, that was the most hopeful time period right. when he transitioned from that hospital to the next to the rehabilitation hospital and then for, during those six months here and there where there were little sparks of maybe he is he is kind of aware or um i asked an open bazaar and it seemed like he would um he but in he just, he just didn't have that energy to be able to Show us that he was there. When the eventuality uh, occurred, the following cheshvan, had all the grieving been done? Were you and your family in a in a in a different state than you thought you would be once he left? So nobody was shocked. Um, some of the kids, you know, I, I made it a point to bring all my children to my husband and say goodbye to them because I didn't ever want them to turn around and say, I never said goodbye. So some of the kids were crying hard. One of the kids was a little bit like, she didn't quite get it. She was like, um, um, and for me on the personal level, when I, so um, he, he died on as Shabbos, literally as Shabbos came in, and we sat the full week of Shiva from Moti Shabbos. They had the funeral until basically Arab Shabbos. I sort of got up. I officially got up Friday Shabbos morning, but right. so I went to light candles, and I had been saying for the last couple of years a certain tefillah, a special tefillah short about a woman says for her husband. And I suddenly realized. I don't have this. I don't have a husband anymore. 
So as I said to people, at the peak, at the attack, I lost him physically. I know I had a husband that I could communicate with, or a husband that I that was there in the house the way he would normally be. But when he died, I lost him spiritually because I no longer had a husband that I could pray for for his well-being in the same way. So it was a new element to his to the loss. It was a, another element added on to the loss. Um, do you and your family still visit the synagogue? Oh, yeah. We're there all the time. <laughs> sure. It's across the street from my house. Um, and the shul is made up of two, actually, two, two, it's, it's, there's two shuls within the building. Right. Um, weekdays, my husband, um, Davin regularly prayed in the downstairs shul, he in the synagogue, he, um, because if that the time of the prayer service fit his schedule better, it was at it was at earlier in the morning, and the the bigger shul upstairs um, had a later had a later morning prayer service. Um, I try to go I try to go regularly on Shabbos, um, but I actually end up in the upstairs shul. Um, on a very regular basis. I don't really get downstairs to the smaller shul myself personally where the attack happened. But my sons go. My sons are, my sons, um, I have a son who's in yeshiva, so when he's home with, when he comes home, he's often there, and my other sons are often there. It's uh, part of our life. One time, a cute little story, one time, um, the bullet holes are still there, and there's a plaque there, and there's still it's still a bit of a tourist site. So I think last year or two years ago, my, around Sukkot's time, my son was in, around the shul, and some people came, were not from the neighborhood, and they said, this is where the attack happened on the synagogue? And my husband said, and my son said, yes. And he, and they said, "Do you know the people who were who were attacked?" And my son said, "Yes, my father." And they uh, were <laughs> they didn't know where it was quite where <laughs> quite to put themselves. <laughs> they didn't know what to but, say. Uh, to us, it's like life. Yeah. And uh, the shul was always part of our life, and it continues to be so. In fact, there's a they had a night call out. And um, and the day after the attack, or within days, they renamed the night call out, and um, for the attack, for the for the people who were murdered, a ter- a, it's called a terkadoshim, and it brings a lot of comfort to the community. A lot, a lot of people come to learn there at night because they know that they're learning for the memory of those people who were killed. Wow. Um, Risa Rotman, the book is called Terror and Amuna and Harnof, A Year of Growth and Faith. It's an Art Scroll Misora publication. Go to artscroll.com, artscroll.com um, for the book and for all the information. Terror and Amuna and Harnof, A Year of Growth and Faith. Where are you from in North America? I'm really originally from a little city called Windsor, Ontario, which is on the Canadian side, sure, opposite Detroit. Detroit. I but I went to high school 
in Toronto. Was your uh, husband was your American? Was your husband? My husband was also. My husband was born and raised in Toronto. Oh, interesting. Um, the book's amazing, and I'm sorry you had to write it under these circumstances, obviously, but I'm telling you, uh, there's a lot of great Musser and tremendous uh, uh, lessons uh, that people can uh, obtain from it. And uh, like I said to you earlier, uh, a b- important part of the book that's not in the uh, in the title is the incredible chesed that uh, people around the world did for you and that all of us have an opportunity uh, to do for people in difficult situations. So thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. And um, and you and your family should only have smachot, only amazing occasions in the brand new year. Amen. Thank you. And to you and to your listeners also. Thank you so much. Terror and Amuna in Harnof. Uh, Risa Rotman's the author, A Year of Growth and Faith. It is well worth picking up. A lot of yuntif coming up. Enhance your yuntif by reading books like this, books about chesed, books about hope, and uh, books that really tell you and show you how great our community and our people can be, all of us. Wednesday morning, some Gedalia morning. You're listening to a uh, to the very first JM and the AM of the year. How do you like that? This is our very first JM and the AM of the brand new year. We owe you an Eitan Cat selection. Here it is at JM and the AM.
זכרנו לחיים, מלך חופץ בחיים, מלך חופץ בחיים. וחוסמנו בספר החיים, אוי למענכו, אלוהיקים חיים. Inscribe us in your book now For a future with no fear Klal Yisrael begs and pleads For another special year Inscribe us in your book now For a future filled with life V'chosveinu B'sefer ha'chayim Israel begs and 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com on the NachumSegal Network. And of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing uh, Som Gedalia edition of JM and the AM, and I thank you all for tuning in. Tomorrow we're back. We'll start at 6 a.m., Full Wednesday schedule coming up, including Avrami's live non-lunch from Israel. Have a fabulous Wednesday and an easy fast. Till tomorrow, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.